As a matter of fact, I dare you to listen to the story I'm going to tell. Double dare you to listen to it at midnight. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, hope you're doing well. I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 276. You are joined by the amazing Emmy-winning actor, Christina Rodlow, known for all types of roles from soap operas to comedies and action dramas. Her work in horror continues to be tremendous with projects like AMC's The Terror and her latest film, Netflix's extraordinary No One Gets Out Alive. Hear about her love of the genre and the making of this unique haunted house story infused with purpose and impact. It's a dark, whimsical fairy tale of incredible VFX, creature design, ghosts, and gore. A conversation with the wonderful Christina Rodlow on episode 276, and it starts now. Hello? I must prepare you. I know this house is kind of weird. But please don't try to leave. It'll make it worse. Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a phenomenal storyteller who pursued her dream of becoming an actor ever since she took her first theater class at 11 years old. After graduating from high school in Mexico, she earned a scholarship at the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York City. She appeared in several shorts and features early in her career, including the Fangoria Chainsaw-nominated Best Foreign Language Film, The Condemned, in 2012. She's performed in Mexico's biggest television shows, including El Vato, that won her an Emmy and a string of projects from the world's most exciting creators with Nicholas Reffin's Too Old to Die Young, Ridley Scott's three-time award-winning anthology series The Terror, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard's 68 Whiskey, and many, many more. She proves time and time again that she has an immaculate eye for the most fascinating material and has the rare talent and spirit of adventure to elevate these stories to a truly enchanting place. Her latest is an incredible new horror film on Netflix that everyone is talking about, it's Santiago Mangini's stunning No One Gets Out Alive. We are honored to welcome its star, Christina Rodlow. What an introduction. Thank you. Well deserved, and thank you so much for spending some time with us, Christina. And congratulations on this absolutely wonderful piece of work. And this by no means is the first time you've played in the sandbox of the horror genre. So we want to know what your own personal experience with horror films as a viewer, going back to your first early experience you can remember is. Oh, my God. Well, when when I was in 
junior high, I would go to my friend's house and we would watch movies, horror movies, like throughout the weekend. And like Saw, uh, Halloween, like all those kind of films, we would watch Hostel, like all those films we would watch it. So I'm like big, big fan of the genre. Like I, I love it. I'm a huge fan. So <laughs> I, I'm very happy to be part of, of this project for sure. Oh, that's amazing. Are there any uh, recent horror discoveries you've made that have blown your mind? I think the latest one has been Hereditary for sure. Oh, yeah. That one. I, it was amazing. I thought it was like perfection, like and and the Conjuring, the first one. Those two were my has been. They have been my favorite, like the latest ones. Yeah. What are the things you like about horror projects from a performance aspect? It's so hard to do horror because you have to imagine. Like people would think it's so easy to do horror, but it's like it's so hard. You have to imagine everything. So, like for an actor's point of view, it's like. Well, you need to have like a really good imagination and you need to have like great connection with your director because everything that is going to happen, only he has it in your in his mind or her mind, whoever is directing, and he has to share it with you. And then you have to put it in your mind and have like the closest vision as you can as his mind. So it's crazy. It's crazy to do horror, you know, because it's not it's not easy. You don't know what's going to be. Like after you finish it, like you feel dumb when you do horror sure. <laughs> you know, like as an actor. Sure. So as an actor, it's a challenge for you. Like, okay. Like when you finish doing one scene, it's like, I'm a terrible actor. I'm never going to work again. And, then- <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to have confidence in the director and their yeah. vision and everyone else working on the project, yeah. right? Of course. Yeah. Because you don't know, like the director will come to you and he will tell you like, okay, so here, you know, the lamp is going to go off and then... Like there's going to be a sound and then a ghost is going to come in. Oh, okay, great. Let me imagine that. And like, get me, you know, it's so hard. It's so hard to imagine. So um, that's why I like it. I think it's, it's people, people don't understand how hard it is because they usually come to you and like, were you scared? It's like, no, I was laughing the whole time because it's like, I, I don't see anything. Right, you know? right. <laughs> if you could be an actor in a horror franchise, what would it be? I think I would have loved being on Saw. I was a huge fan of it. Like, I would have loved to be one of the ones who get out, you know, like who actually managed to get out. Part of your amazing career trajectory that has kind of become your own mantra and brand is that it's important to you that you are saying something in whatever you were doing and that those decisions convey purpose and meaning. So tell us what it was about the opportunity to do No One Gets Out Alive that checked those boxes for you. Well, the immigration part, 100%. Uh, I think No One Gets Out Alive is not horror just to be horror and just to be entertaining. I think it has... It has a meaning, has a purpose. It's trying to say something, you know, and I think art should at least try. And if you don't try, then then it's fine. You're entertaining, which is okay too, but then it's not art. It's just an entertainment. And uh, for me, the reasons why I do this is for people to watch a film or a show and they are a different person from the moment they, they start watching it and from the moment they finish watching it. They have questions, they have feelings, they have something going inside that it's different from the moment, the first moment they started it. This film, speaking on that, is such a tremendous showcase of your ability 
to completely captivate and engage an audience. And you are 100% our avatar in this story. We experience this world completely through your eyes. And Umbar is going through a lot. She's experiencing discrimination. She's in a completely unfamiliar place. She's by herself. Not only does she have this tremendous amount of pressure and anxiety she's carrying, but she's also got the burden of the loss of her mother and then ends up in this terrifying haunted house. What were the challenges of bringing yourself to this very unique emotional place with all these things going on as a character? How did you overcome that as an actor? Well, yeah, like you said, Ambar goes through a lot. So I think the main challenge for me, it was to to have layers on Amber because it could be really easy to just be like, again, like this is happening to me. Like, you know, like, because it's really easy to just go on that direction. And, and for me, it was like talking a lot to Santiago and being like, Hey, like this scene, I want to play it like this. So like, it's different from the scene that something similar happens, but at least here is, she still has hope, you know, like I, for me, it was like, I need to give Amber layers and, and hope a lot of hope because if not then then the, the 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 film has no purpose and it gets lost right so so that was like the hardest thing for me like to really and obviously because we were not filming everything lineal it was like all over the place like one scene from the end and then one scene from the start and then one scene from the middle i needed to have like a lot of clarity from where my character was coming from on each scene so i i was like very very focused because like you said you see me throughout the film like it's only me it's my face the whole time so if you if you don't go if you don't believe in amber then you don't believe in the film so like everything's on me pretty much so i was like i need i need to be 100 like 200 percent on this on like be sharp and really be feeling everything that she's feeling and yeah, I mean, I think it, it was definitely really hard and I was exhausted at the end. I was like, I need a break, <laughs> you know? I can imagine. And Santiago's vision is very compelling. In, in this piece, he crafts something whimsical and elegant that is very much his own thing, which is thrilling to see. And he's an award-winning filmmaker whose previous experience as a director is mostly in short films. This is his very first feature. What did you find interesting about the ways he went about building this world? I think Santiago, like he had a very clear idea of, of the set of the monster of like how the story was going to play in general, you know, and he, he trusts me and he trusts Mark and David. And like, he, he really trusted the, the actors to, he knew who he hired and why he hired them. And, and we played, you know, like he really believed in us. And for me and him, like we, we, we talked a lot about the character. We talked like we literally went scene by scene before we started the film and be like, this is how I want to play it. The, like me saying like, this is how I want to play it. And then him telling me, this is how I want you to play it. And then coming to, if we were thinking different things, coming to a dip, like to the same, to the same place. So he was like, he, he was very open as well, you know, cause it was his first time doing a, like a major film and um, he was open to, to hearing me all the time and to trusting me and me the same way. Like, you know, like I said before, like you see me throughout the film. So he was like, I need to protect you. 
you need to trust me and and like vice versa you know like we we were trusting each other like all the time leo you had a question about the mechanics of the house yeah there's some fun scares and effects where your character is hearing things the lights flickering and something will appear for a brief moment and you have to react and you know to such things on set were those effects choreographed in real time or the added in post-production some of them were and some of them were added in post-production and but like most of them were added in post the boo crew will be right back (laughs) shock by shock you will feel chilling terror this is the start of bloodbath first she draws a little blood next the sharp razor edge and the vixen's kiss of death. But the end is not yet in sight. You have only begun to die. Bloodbath and Queen of Blood, two thrillers high in bloodletting horror, combine the passion of a deathless witch who rules the bloodless and an indulgence in forbidden sadism. Of course, Queen of Blood is in color. All the better to enjoy a bloodbath. See Bloodbath and Queen of Blood taunting, tingling, terrifying from American International. Schofield Heights is such a beautiful location. So that building, the interior, was that an actual set or an actual building? Where was everything filmed? So it was crazy because we started filming on March 13, uh, 2020. So this is before everything closed, like everything closed on March 16. Right. So. March 13th was our first day of shoot of shooting in Cleveland and their producer at the end of the day, he comes and he tells me and Santiago was like, guys, there's a pandemic and the borders are about to close. So we need to go back to our homes because this is not going to happen. And we're like, what now? Come on. Nothing's going to happen. We can still do it. Like the crew is very small. Like, come on. And they're like, no, like we're not doing it. So we went home and we shot for one day and a half in Cleveland, the exteriors. And then seven months later, uh, we started shooting in Romania. All like the, the house is a set. It's completely a set. And it's, I think the job they did is amazing. Oh, it's, insane. Was, it's incredible. It's insane. Yeah. And and the exteriors that you see, most of them were in Cleveland. Like most of them, it's what we got to shoot on that one day and a half. Everything else is in Romania. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow. One thing I wanted to ask you about is the butterflies and moths that are seen floating all around the house. Is any of that stuff real or practical? Is it all digital? All digital. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. They did such a great job on that. Yeah. So there was like, well, you know, you're going to kill... Uh, butterfly where <laughs> was, you know like that scene where i'm like Boom. nothing it's like i didn't see anything just imagine it's just gonna fly from here to here then here you're gonna see it and you're gonna kill it 
everything that was in my imagination. <laughs> yeah, that set just looks like it's naturally haunted. They did a really good job with that. Did anything unusual or paranormal happen during production in Romania? Other than being in a pandemic, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, no, nothing, nothing. It's weird because this is like the third project that I do of horror, and uh, nothing ever happens. It's just weird, you know. Like you, you hope that something will, but no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, to get into a little bit of spoiler territory. As delicate and haunting as this piece gets, it equally moves quickly into some of the most brutal and sinister filmmaking we've seen in a very long time. In the third act, it becomes an incredibly physical performance for you as your character has to fight for your life, in particular in confronting this massive evil beast by the name of Becker. How did you achieve that intensity without getting hurt? Well, first of all, they they were like, we don't want you to do many of the things. I'm like, guys, that's not happening. I'm doing everything because, I mean, this is the best part of the film. Like, obviously, I'm going to do it. They were like, no, but because, I mean, we're not shooting everything lineal. It's like, we, like, we don't want to lose you because you're sure. in every... Right. <laughs> so if something happens to you, then we're fucked. <laughs> and I'm like, well, nothing's going to happen to me. Trust me. I know I, know I can do this. So we're like, okay, so they, let me do everything. And... I just I was very excited about it. I mean, because the end is like she finally lets it all out, you know, like not only to them, like with everything that has happened in her life for the last 10 years. So this is her moment. Right. So for me, it was like, I got to give everything. She has to let it all out. Right. So I just gave in. I just like I was like. Amber isn't me and we're, we're nailing this. And I think we did. <laughs> At one point, your ankle gets <laughs> stepped on pretty hard. How did they do that? It looks so real. I was screaming for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> when I said I screamed as well. Uh, well, it was VFX and, and, and yeah, I mean, they did an amazing job, honestly. They were like, well, because at the, at the moment of the scene, obviously, um, David, who plays Becker, he was not touching me. He was doing it on the side. And on the camera, it looks like he was doing it to my ankle. And I was just reacting to that, to the sound. And, and then everything was VFX. The most rewarding thing is seeing you obliterate Becker with a paddle. It is so gory and amazing. How was that pulled off? What were you hitting? How did it come off to look like that? It was so gross and awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. I was here. I was hitting um, a Becker, like not a double, but like a like a dummy, like a, like a yeah. yeah, like a dummy, a fake Becker. So I was hitting that and I was just like imagining that it was the real Becker and I was doing it to him. Like, what was it full of that, that caused the, the blood effect and everything? Do you know what they used? Oh, that's VFX. Because when I was punching him, like when I was punching the dummy, it was not that it was a dummy and no um, blood coming out. And wow, do we ever get rewarded with, with, with the, and uh, forgive me if, for the pronunciation of the name. It's the It's Papalato, the goddess butterfly creature. It's this magnificent creature that hides in this ancient relic in the basement of Schofield Heights, right? 
How was that brought to life as far as what you got to interact with on set? Was there nothing there? Was there any puppetry involved? Was there a tennis ball on a rod? It was hands involved, and that was it. Really? Some green hands doing like the touching and something like because I never really get to see it. But yeah, yeah, it was it was all only hands. Did you ever at any time during filming get a chance to look at what uh, like a picture or yeah. drawing of what the creature would eventually look yeah, like? Yeah, they were, they were showing me drawings and like pictures, but I never got to see like the real thing as it is right now. Like as you guys saw it on the film. I never got to. Oh my God. So what was your reaction in being able to sit and watch the final piece? Like that must've just been an incredible ride for you, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, it was amazing. Like when I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, this monster vagina looking (laughs) crazy. Yeah. It was insane. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It's it's insane. beautiful in the same way. It's a sorry. Yeah. Santiago is a very, like I said, a very whimsical, dark fairy tale vision. And it really comes across when all those VFX come into play. Yeah. When I, when I, when Santiago was telling me how the monster was going to be and how he, he, how he was imagining it, I was like, you have a very Del Toro kind of like imagination. Yeah. Working with them, Santiago, what was the most uh, challenging scene to shoot? The scene with my mom. Uh, when I finally make the decision, the decision to not stay, you know, when, when everything changes and she says no, and my mom starts like, um, strangling me and then I kill her. Um, that was the most difficult one. It was really, it was really hard to do because of COVID we couldn't touch too many times. And then, and then Santia, like the camera was very close and what Santiago wanted with the hands were, was very specific. So we would have to manage a bunch of things plus the acting. So it was really hard to do. It was very, very hard to do. Speaking on that note, that whole ending sequence of events has sparked a lot of conversation and meditation and people wondering and speculating and perhaps some of those are better to remain a mystery and we completely respect that but i'm curious about your thoughts so there's two schools of thoughts on what happened with umbar's mother did she actually kill her mother before she came to america in an effort to move on from being involved in that and having that over her for so many years was it a mercy killing or was that a symbolic vision of her power over the demon at the bottom of the house it was definitely a symbolic vision it was like it was a demon that's how the demon would get them that's how they would give in and that's why she she the demon doesn't eat amber because she she says no no to that no to that feeling no to that memory then the demon is like the monster is like well, if you don't want it, then I'm like, it's kind of like the way I saw it. It's like, it's kind of like a cool monster, you know, it's like, oh, well, if you don't want it, then I don't want you, you know? And that's what, that's how it happened. Like Amber is like, no, no, that memory. I just, I, I got to close it. I, that, that, that's it. I left my mom, like she died. I did what I had to do. And now I have to live my life. And, and that's her closure. And when she, closes that door that's when the the monster is like well then i don't want you you're seen at the end of the film and you appear to have dominion over schofield heights and an 
an allegiance with the monster almost. And the moths are now under your power. In your mind, where does the story go from here? Does she help find other sacrifices for the monster? Is she in control of everything and the monster is defeated? Well, we actually shot a scene where Amber leaves. That's not in the film anymore. And that's what I think it happens. She leaves. She, she's like, yeah, she feels this for a moment. She's like, oh, my God, this is great. This could be great. But then she's like, this is not me. You know, and she leaves. And I think we should do like a second part in 10 years where the the monster like keeps haunting Amber and maybe she comes back or maybe the monster finds someone else and Amber tries to finally kill the monster or something like that. I think that would be great. That would be <laughs> incredible. Has there been talk? Has Santiago ever mentioned, hey, you know, we'd love to do a sequel for this. Yeah. I mean, there were like there were talks about it, but I mean, nothing nothing serious more like more like a joke and we we talked about it and i think it would be great and i even talked to the producers about it i saw them uh two three weeks ago in in london and they were like yeah i mean that would be awesome because this is based on a novel and the novel is only the first part of the film oh that's incredible wow did you get a chance to read the novel and no, because I did it because it's very different than the novel. I mean, the novel happens in the UK with like, it has nothing to do with immigration. It's like very different. She has a boyfriend. Like it's a completely different story. And so I didn't want to have any ideas on my mind. And, but now I, I met Adam when I was over there and um, he gave me, he gave me a novel and I look forward to start reading it. What's on deck for you right now? Is there anything else, any other projects in the works that should be out soon? Yeah, well, I just wrapped a film that I was shooting in Rome and in London, uh, a completely different story. It's a very feel good movie about homeless people who play soccer. So, <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Very cool. Yeah, it's, very, it's very cute. It's a very cute story. So that's probably going to come out like by mid of next year on Netflix, too. So exciting. And any other horror projects in the works in the near future or any any rumblings of that? No, I want I want to take a break. From sure. Horror. I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Give a little break after that. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. Christina. Well, listen, thank you again so much for taking the time to spend with us. And congratulations again on this marvelous movie and the incredible work you did on it. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 276. Special thanks to our guest, Christina Rodlow. Follow her at Christina Rodlow on Instagram. At time of release, check out No One Gets Out Alive on Netflix now. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boot Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the Bloody Disgusting. Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.